All right, good evening, everyone. That sounds so formal, right? Good evening. What's up, guys? It's hot here. Am I like the only one that's having like a hot flash? I think I just dressed <sighs> wrong. You guys okay? Oh, we opened up all, all the windows. Should be better. Um, yeah, so you guys just saw the retreat video. How many of you guys got a chance to be a part of the retreat? The Mayor's Retreat slash Churchwide. Awesome. For those of you guys that didn't get a chance to go, I want to encourage you guys. We have a free video stream that you guys can go to our church website and um, see it on video. The, all of the sermons, all of the sessions uh, are up there. And so take advantage of that. And even if you guys did go, I would suggest you guys go back to the sessions and re-listen to some of the messages. Some of them were just too deep. You can't catch it the first time around. I was re-listening to a couple of the messages and I was like, what? I do not remember him saying that or, wow, I, I totally missed that revelation then, but I'm getting it now. And so, yeah, go back to it and keep reaping uh, from that retreat. Do you guys have a good time? Yeah. That's pretty powerful, huh? I heard that last week um, Eunice preached on maturity. Well, I'm going to do kind of like a maturity part two sermon today because I think that this is the word that's thick in the air, uh, not only for KU, but for all of our MA students at this hour. And so today I want to talk about taking authority over your emotions, taking authority over your emotions. Okay. This is so key to maturity. I want you guys to open up your Bibles to first Corinthians chapter three verses one to four. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Okay, I'm reading from the ESV, but you guys can um, read from whatever version of the Bible you have. Let's just read it together. Here we go. But I, brothers, could not address you as a spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Okay, so here Apostle Paul is addressing the Corinth church, and this is what he's saying. Listen, I can't even talk to you as adults, because right now, let's be real here, you guys are spiritual infants. And the way that he measures spiritual infancy is talking about the food you eat. He says, you drink milk, but you do not know how to eat solid food. Now, I understand that Eunice was mentioning about the word the word of God, that we need to go deeper in the word of God. And that's one aspect of the food. I want to give you another, uh, a deeper understanding of what food means here. I want you guys to turn with me to John chapter four, John chapter four, verses 31 to 34. John's one of my, um, most favorite gospel accounts. I think because he talks about women a lot. A lot of stories about women. If you guys notice, a lot of stories about women that aren't mentioned at all in any of the other three Gospels. But, you know, John knew. He knew what was up. Okay, so John chapter 4, verses 31 to 34. This is, the, the background here is Jesus just met the Samaritan woman at the well. And they had this incredible encounter. And his disciples come back from this from, from picking up food, and, and this is what happens. This is the dialogue. Verses 31 to 34, uh, let's read this together. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. What is Jesus saying? His food is obedience. So when we talk about maturity from milk to solid food, we're talking about different levels of obedience. It's not enough to just read your Bible, to read all of the context. You can know your Bible in Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, whatever. But if you're not obeying scripture, you're not walking in maturity. To what level of obedience are you walking in? This is the measure. This is the standard because it's the food. The food is to do the father's will. 
That's ultimate maturity, ultimate obedience. Some of us, we start off with milk. Oh, what do we need to do? We got to buy a Bible. Okay, I'll buy a Bible. Milk. What do we need to? Oh, oh, it says that we need to be a part of a community. God calls us not to give up on the gathering of one another. Okay, I'll go to church. Milk. There's different levels of obedience. And then you get to a stage where soon God's going to call you to obey things that are not that easy to do. And he's going to start asking you to give up some things that you don't want to give up. The greater your level of obedience, the greater your level of maturity. So what level of maturity are you? What level of maturity are you? Just thinking about level of obedience. So what does that have to do with your emotions and your thoughts? Well, here, let me give it to you like this. Our emotions can continuously get in the way of us obeying God. And our emotions are dictated not by just our feelings. It's what we think. What you think is let, what you think is how you feel. Meaning if I look at um, David O over there and I think that David O doesn't like me. I have that thought in my mind. Now, what am I going to feel? That thought is going to dictate a certain emotion. Now, looking at him, I'm going to feel uncomfortable. I'm not going to feel safe. I'm going to feel a little bit awkward, maybe even a little bit angry. Like, what's up? We didn't have a conversation. I don't even know for for real whether he, you know, whether what I'm thinking is true or not, but I thought it, and now my emotions are following my thoughts. For those of you that have emotional issues, you can't control your emotions, The truth is you're having thought life issues. It's not that you're just emotional. Why am I always upset? Or how how come I'm always so easily, you know, uh, filled with anxiety and I'm so easily, you know, filled with anger or whatever it may be. It's because you haven't learned how to take captive your thoughts. If you have a disciplined thought life, you will have a disciplined emotional life. Now, listen, this is something that I need to mention. Emotions are not bad. Emotions are given by God. In fact, God is an emotional God. If you guys read the scripture, you see that God gets angry. God gets filled with joy. God delights. We're emotional because God's emotional. We were created in his image. But someone said it like this. Emotions make great friends, but terrible rulers. When your emotions rule you, man, you in trouble. You are in trouble. What does it mean to have your emotions rule you? Now it's like you wake up and you know, those days you wake up and you're like, you're just not feeling it. There's some days you wake up and like, ah, the sun is shining. Everything's like a Disney movie, you know? And then there are days you wake up and you're like, oh man, I really don't want to get out of bed. And then you start prophesying over yourself through your thoughts that you're going to have a bad day, man. Today's going to be so long. School's going to be so hard. I'm going to be so tired. You start thinking these thoughts and your emotions start to come into alignment with your thoughts. Just because now you're meditating on the fact that you're tired. Now you're emo- now you're emotionally feeling fatigue. That's being led by your emotions, being led by not keeping your, ca- your thoughts captive here. Let's turn to um, second Corinthians, actually, I'll just read this for you. Second Corinthians, but write this down. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses three to five. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses three to five. I'm going to be reading from the new King James version. Cause I think it's slightly, um, better in this case. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war According to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. For the weapons of our warfare, did you know that the war that we're fighting is the war in our mind? We're so consumed with battling the devil. No, the issue isn't battling the devil. The issue is taking authority over your thought life and making your thoughts obedient to Christ. When you're walking in submission to God, when you're walking in submission to the word of God, now you're walking in obedience to Christ. And now the devil can't help but to flee. 
When you walk in the truth, the devil has no foothold. He has nowhere to stand, nowhere to grip, nothing to do because you're holding on to something. When you wake up and you feel like that you're going to have a terrible day, all of a sudden you got to say, you know what thought that doesn't obey with the word of God. Cause the word of God says, I have new grace, new mercy every morning. So if I have new mercies every morning, this means I have the grace to live this day victoriously. So thought, not devil thought, I'm going to put you in submission to the obedience of Christ. And now slowly, but surely your emotions will come into alignment. Sometimes we wait till our emotions feel it. Well, I know that that's what's true, Pastor Aaron, but I just don't feel it. Immaturity. Immaturity. I don't feel like going to large group. Immaturity. I don't feel like reading the Bible. You know, can you hear that tone? It sounds like a literal, like a, like a four-year-old that doesn't want to brush her teeth. I don't want to brush my teeth. <laughs> but it's good for you. I don't care. I don't want to brush my teeth. No. Immaturity. But when you get older, soon brushing your teeth isn't an issue. You just naturally do it. Why? Because you've learned how to overcome the fact that you don't feel like doing it because you know you need to. So in the same way, when we think the thoughts that we think, we got to ask ourselves, are we making it, are we taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ? Look what it says in the passage I just read. It said that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning it's not, it's not physical weapons. I'm not talking about busting out an AK-47 up in here and getting some pistols or machine guns, you know, no, it's not literal weapons. It's not carnal. It's not physical, but they're mighty in God. For pulling down, what are they mighty for? Pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You know what it's saying? This is saying that we all have the power in us by the Holy Spirit to take authority and to cast down, pull down, break off all the arguments in our mind that come against who God is. You know, you have those days and you just start doubting, man, does God, do you even love me? Do you even love me? Because we feel it. Don't we feel it? We, we, can't, we have these emotions. We have days where circumstances and we feel like we question God's love. That's an attack on the knowledge of God. But in that moment, that's when you got to take captive. What? I can't even be thinking this thought. This thought is foolishness. God, you've proven your love to me time and time again. And if the gospel, if Jesus dying on the cross for my sin isn't proof enough, then I'm a fool. When we know how to begin to reason with ourselves in our minds, the very truth of God submitting, fighting to keep our thought life in its rightful place, that's when we're walking in true maturity. Spiritual maturity is not about gifts. It's not about speaking in tongues. It's not about twirling around and manifest us, manifesting the, the gifts of the spirit. It's not about healing. It's not about supernatural things. Those are powers. Those are things that are good for kingdom purposes, but that does not equate to spiritual maturity. In fact, I've seen some really immature people walk in some crazy power. There was a young lady that attended our church and she had a sick gift of prophecy. I mean, sick like she would come up and she'd be like, Hey pastor, I was just wondering if blah, 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 blah. blah. And I'm like, oh, how did you know that the things on my heart, she just had a really strong gift of the prophetic. And it was just easy to be in, in awe. Wow. This girl must, you know, she must have it together. Cause she, she, when she prays, it just sounds like it has so much authority and, and, oh, she, she gets so easily filled with the Holy spirit. And, and, and it was easy to think that this person was spiritually mature until it came to obedience, which is the true mark of maturity. What happened was this young lady thought she heard from the Lord because she's so prophetic that she shouldn't be friends with another person. And she walked up to that person and said, you know what, Daniel, the Lord spoketh to me that you are a bad influence in my life and we can't be friends. This was another member of the church. That person that she said that to had already dealt with so much hurt and so much pain with, with friends came to Pastor Christian and myself in tears, so upset, hurting. And we said, she said, what? <laughs> All right, bring her in, bring her in. So we brought her into the office and we're like, listen, let's hear the story. What happened? 
Oh, but the Lord saith. And I just felt the leading of the spirit and I got to obey the spirit. So I said what I said and I, and we just looked at it and we're like, listen, that wasn't the Lord. You know why that wasn't the Lord? Because that wasn't love. What she did was hurtful. What she did was unkind and you need to go repent to that friend. And she looked at us and she was like, you know what? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I, I know what I heard God say. And I was like, okay, all right. You want to play that game? You want to do this? Let's do this. Prophecy should always be correctable. If your, if your prophetic word is set in stone because you think you heard from the Lord, then you're already operating from the wrong spirit. But every prophetic word that you receive should always be subject to your leaders, should always be subject to judgment. There are things that you hear that are of God, yes. And there are things that you hear that are straight up foolishness. So I asked, is your prophecy always 100% on that you can't be corrected in this? She goes, listen, I just, I know what I heard. I need some time to pray about it. And I was like, all right, you know what? Go pray. Go pray and come back to us. But let me tell you, this is an issue of leadership. If you don't submit to what we're saying, you're off leadership. Why? Because obedience is maturity. So she came back to us. And this is someone that used the, if you guys know that New Philly, we have this sonship model. So she was all, oh, mama, oh, papa, all the words, fancy, all the words. I could care less what you guys call me. It's, it's about the substance. And she, come, she come, came back after a week and she goes, I can't do it. I can't do it. I know what I heard. And I was just so sad. My heart broke. And I realized, wow, that is her level of maturity. That is her level of maturity. So when you look at other people, don't be so razzle-dazzled by how well they preach or how well they lead worship or how well they pray. No, look at how well they obey. Look how well they're obeying, not just God directly, but their leaders. Look how well they obey one another. Look how well they obey other people that God has put them in their life. Oh, they're, they're really obedient in church, but they totally disrespect their boss. That's an immaturity issue. A workplace isn't a spiritual place. So I could be, I can be, you know, I could do whatever I want when it comes to my boss. I can lie and I can not come to work on time and I can, you know, be on Facebook all day at work instead of actually doing work. But, but at church, I'm all good. No, immaturity, immaturity, the level of obedience in every area of your life. You got to be, that's got to be our goal. That's, that's my prayer these days. God, forget the gifts. That's good. But help me to be more obedient. Teach me to obey. Why? Because the more you obey, the more God will entrust you with more. Some of you guys are really searching out your calling. You're asking yourselves, God, what's my destiny? What's my purpose? And God is withholding some of that information because you can't even obey what he's calling you to do today. He's like, listen, you want to know your destiny? Do what I say today. As we walk in obedience daily, our destiny unfolds. So we're going to look at a huge example of this. How, how do you deal with this then? How do we deal with the emotions? Because emotions are real. When we're sad, it's real. When we're angry, it's real. When we're overwhelmed, it's real. We can't just pretend that these emotions don't exist. We can't just be robots that obey all the time. We're people, we feel. So how do we deal with that, that, that issue, that turmoil, that tension? Turn with me to Psalm chapter 42. And we're going to see how an incredible man of God deals with the tension. Psalm chapter 42. I love this Psalm. I think it's super anointed. This is a song probably written by King David. Psalm chapter 42. It starts off by saying this, as a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. You got to understand the depths of what King David's talking about. He's not just like, oh God, I want you. 
God, I want more of you. No, he's in turmoil. God, just like a deer pants. Think about a dog panting after running around in the summer heat. You're, you know what I mean? Like you are desperate for some water as a deer pants. That's my desire. That's my longing. That's how desperate I am for you. At this time, King David was most, a lot of scholars say that he wrote this Psalm when he was on the run. You see, he had a couple of sons. I think it was three sons. And one of his son was named Absalom and Absalom decided to go against his father and he wanted his father's kingly position. And so he killed one of his brothers. Okay. Actually, this brother was quite evil himself. He raped a sister, raped his own sister, literal sister. But anyway, so, so Absalom kills that homie and then he goes after his own father's throne. This is your dad. And so he goes after the throne and David, he, he gets the whole Israelite to get on his side. So David had to flee. King David's on the run. This is the king. He's on the run. And he can't even be in his own kingdom and he can't worship God the way that he normally worships God, which is in a public worship where you would go in the prayer tabernacle, the, 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 and get the, what'd you, <laughs> the Ark of the covenant. And you know, you dance and you sing and all of this stuff like King David loved to worship. And this was something that he yearned for, but he couldn't even participate in any of that for years. Why? Because his son was betraying him. So imagine the desperation and the heartache and the emotional turmoil that he's feeling when he's, he didn't have a bad sandwich and wrote this psalm. You know, he didn't just have someone say, oh, you know, I don't like you. And he wrote, no, he's writing this psalm from a serious tragedy, from serious turmoil and serious trauma. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Have you guys ever been thirsty before? like really thirsty, like uncomfortably thirsty, you know, hunger you can deal with. I mean, hunger is hard too. And there's something called hangry, you know, hungry, angry, hangry. When you're angry, when you're hungry. Anyway, I have a bad case of hangry, but, but there's nothing like being thirsty. Hunger you can deal with to a certain extent, but a parched tongue is so hard. Most of you guys don't even know what that's like because we have continual access to drinks. But the other day I had crazy food poisoning. Like I'm gonna get a bit TMI, but you know, that's how I roll. Like seriously puking. And then as soon as I'm still puking, I'm about to explode from the backside. You know what I mean? So I have to switch to, ah, to, to add, like, it was like that back and forth. Like I was a hot I never experienced that before in my life. It was so bad. So can you imagine how dehydrated I was? Literally, I was just throwing. I threw up like at least six times. And I threw up from the backside at least like eight times. No, for real. It was bad. I was so dehydrated that I started losing consciousness. And so my husband dragged me to the emergency room. And as I was in the emergency room, I got hooked up to an IV, but I was so thirsty. And if you looked at my tongue, it was completely white, right? And I was like... Can I, am I allowed to drink a little bit of water? And they're like, no, if you drink water, you'll throw up right away. You have to wait till the IV gets in your system and you'll be completely hydrated by the IV bag, right? I'm sitting there. I still have a little bit of the bruise. I'm sitting there with the IV, but all I could think about was how thirsty I was and literally the bag. And I was like, how long is this bag going to take? <laughs> it was like two hours. And the whole time I'm like, honey, honey, just get me some water. <laughs> and he's like, you know what the doctor said? I'm like, Anybody. just a little bit, just a little bit. No, I literally thought I was going crazy. I was so insanely thirsty and I was so dehydrated. Even at the hospital, I was like in and out of consciousness. Ooh. And as I got into honey water, water, and you know, you could, you, I could tell that he was feeling so bad, you know, like he really wanted to get me water, but like he couldn't. And he's like, I can't, <laughs> I just, I can't. Like, and so I had to go to the bathroom numerous times because I was still expelling everything out of my system with the IV. So I'd, I'd walk around and I was so dizzy, but like, as I was walking, I saw the water machine and I was like thinking in my mind, like, like if no one's watching, I should make a run for it and just like chug water, you know, and be like, there's nothing you can do, but, but, but. I refused. And then I, I went to the bathroom and I threw up again. And then, you know, you wash out your mouth in the sink, in the sink. And as the water was in the mouth in the sink, I was like, 
thinking, I totally want to gulp this water. In my mind, this is nasty. But the other side is like, it's okay. No one will know. I, I just, I've never, I've been hungry. Like, I've gone on fasts. I've done, you know, a 40-day liquid fast. But it can't even compare to what I felt when I was so thirsty. Like, thirst, I couldn't even function. Hunger, you just ignore it by keeping yourself preoccupied. You know, and you just get, you try to be busy and you do things. But thirst, you can't, so I just, I laid in bed so thirsty. So after the IV, the IV was taking too long. So I was like, can you make it faster? So they, you know, made it a little bit faster. But I still had to wait another hour. And I got home. And when I got home, I filled up like a whole cup of water. And I was like, oh, no, seriously, it was like the best. I was like, this is amazing. Like I was about to pass out from how amazing this water was. And I was like, Lord, this is just like your presence. This is David. He is so out of his mind, beside himself, wanting to worship God freely. So wanting to connect with the Lord, but he couldn't. When shall I come and appear before you, God? The next verse says. That means, when can I come in public worship? Because he can do private worship, but David, King David wanted public worship. He wanted the tambourines. You know, he wanted the Ark of the Covenant right there. He wanted the full-on glory experience. That's what he was hungering for. When? When can I do that again? My tears have been my food day and night. You want to talk about emotional? Day and night. All he's consuming is his tears. And the tears, watch this, the tears are saying to him, where is your God? It's as if the tears itself is mocking King David. Where is your God? You ever feel that? You're so emotional and then you just start thinking these thoughts like, man, God, where are you at? Or God, how come you love so-and-so better? Or how come so-and-so always gets it so easy? Why does it have to be so difficult for me? We start questioning God's goodness. And we start questioning God's nature and we begin to allow our emotions begin to accuse our faith in God. Where's your God? Where's your God? You're so sad. You're crying. Nothing's changing, but where's your God? Where's your God? His own emotions are mocking him. These things I remember, King David says, as I pour out my soul, how I would go to the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. So he's talking about how he remembers these amazing worship services. Now watch what he does. Cause he's emotional. You guys understand King David's emotional at this point, right? But watch what he does. Verse five. Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You know what's going on here? King David is talking to himself. And he's like, why are you being so emotional? Why are you so downcast? Why are you in such turmoil? What are you doing? Hope in God. Hope in God. You know better than this. You know who God is. He begins to have a conversation with him. No one is there to lay hands on him. There's no small group leader to say, oh, it's going to be okay. There's no preacher to preach a message. At that moment, he just has himself. And in that moment, he says, you know what? Why are you so downcast? Why are you acting like this? Put your hope in God. What does it mean to put your hope in God? God is unchangeable. He's unchangeable, which means our hope should always be unchangeable. Put your hope in God. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. King David, his faith reasons with his fears. His hope argues with his sorrows. You see the battle going on? Faith and fear. Hope and sorrow. And faith is rising up and saying, fear, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get out of here. There's nothing to be afraid of. And hope begins to rise up and say, sorrow, what's going on? You don't belong here. I have nothing to be sorrowful about. Get out of here. You got to allow the obedience of God, the truth of God to rise up inside of you. John, the beginning of John starts like this. The word of God was the, the word was with God and the word was God. 
right? In the beginning, there was a word. The word was with God and the word was God. And later on, it talks about how the word became flesh. And that word becoming flesh is talking about Jesus Christ. So when we're talking about how to submit our thoughts in obedience to Christ, we're talking about in obedience to his word. Obedience to his word. So when his word, his word, this is why you got to know scripture, because if you don't know scripture, you got nothing to fight with. You're going to feel sad and you have nothing to hold on to. You don't have a single Bible verse memorized. You're away from your Bible and you don't know what to do. You don't have your smartphone. You don't know what to do. You don't have a single Bible verse memorized. You got no weapons. You got no sword at that moment. This is why scripture is so important. There are times where I was so distressed and so depressed and so insanely low. But in that moment, God began to remind me of scriptures. Be joyful in all circumstances. I am with you. I turn for, I turn your darkness into light. I begin to just remember the scriptures that I've been meditating on. And now I got something to fight with. This is why Eunice was saying last week, you got to know your word. Cause if you know your word, you got, now you know how to use your sword. And when you got your sword ready, now you know how to cut down all of the, the, the thoughts and the lies that don't obey Christ. Why are you so turmoil within me? You know what King David is saying? He's saying, listen, is, does this outweigh? Is what I'm going through outweigh what God has done in my life? Is what I'm facing right now, does it outweigh who God is in my life? Does my circumstances surpass God in my life? And for him, the answer is no and no and no, which is why he says, why so downcast, oh, my soul? Even though his son is trying to kill him, even though his other son was murdered and his other daughter was raped, he's been through some things in this moment, yet regardless, he's telling himself, no, I have no reason to stay in this place of turmoil and despair. Why? Because I know who God is. But look, King David keeps it real. The next verse, then he goes, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. He, he, it's, like, it's like you see the fight in the psalm. Why so downcast? Next verse, my, my soul is downcast. <laughs> right? And then he says, deep calls out to deep at the roar of your waves, uh, at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. Deep cries out to deep. What he's saying is, man, everything that could have possibly gone wrong has gone wrong. Every wave of trial has come upon me. Every breaking situation has come upon me. It's a little bit exaggerated, right, David? A little bit of exaggeration, but this is what he's feeling. He's feeling like it's just trial after trial after trial after trial. He's just saying, God, I'm so sick and tired. I'm so overwhelmed. But what does verse 8 says? What does verse 8 say? It says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to God, to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. So he's coming up, right? But watch, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Up and down, up and down. But where does he end? He ends with verse 11. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. When we walk at maturity, this is some of what happens. You begin to start that battle in your mind. This is not, this is not the word of God. This is not the word of God. Scripture says that I can have joy in any situation, but I don't have any joy right now. I'm, I'm feeling terrible. I feel like crap. I feel like I don't want to see anybody. I feel like I don't want to talk to anybody. What? Talk to Eunice? Chill. I don't want to talk to Eunice right now. Small group leader? No, I don't want to talk to my small. I just want to be by myself in my room in the dark, crying in the corner. That's how I feel. That's what I'm feeling. But in that moment, you got to tell yourself, oh, hold up. Hold up, why so downcast, oh my soul? What's up with you? This is not right. This is not kingdom. This is not abundant life. This is not what Jesus has paid 
on the cross for us. No, God, I thank you. I can put my hope in you. And no matter, even if you're feeling like crap, you get up and you do what you need to do because obedience supersedes emotions. And when your obedience supersedes emotions, then your emotions will come into alignment. We have weapons. You're not as powerless as you think. We think we're so powerless to our emotions. You feel a certain way and you think, there's nothing I can do. I got to follow my heart. Follow your heart is the biggest bunch of nonsense. God never said in scripture, follow your heart and says Proverbs talks about how our heart is deceitful. It's not about following your heart. It says we should submit our heart to God. You don't follow your emotions, but you submit your emotions. You don't follow your own thoughts, but you submit your thoughts. God, if you are Lord, that's what being Christian is about. Jesus being Lord over our lives. Then that means submitting every part of our life to him. There's always a greater truth. Your circumstances should not be able to dictate how you feel. You can have the worst day and still be in a place of utter joy. If you understand, if you walk in that kind of maturity, that's what apostles, apostle Paul says. He talks about how he's learned the secret of being content in all situations. That homie has been shipwrecked. He's been flogged. Okay. He's been beaten. He's been starving. He's been sent to prison. He says, I've been through all sorts of things, but I know the secret of being content no matter what I'm facing. That's a mature man of God. That level of maturity is what God is calling you and I to. No longer is KU going to be subject to its emotions. God is calling you to take authority over your thought life. When you take authority over your thought life, your emotions will follow. It may not happen right away. You still may not feel that good right away, but if you follow the obedience of God, your emotions will catch up. This I promise you. You know, there's a scene in that video where Pastor Christian was laying his hands on my womb. Many of you guys may not know this story, but earlier last year I had gotten pregnant and it was a miracle because I'd been told by doctors that I wouldn't be able to get pregnant on my own. I had a couple of fertility issues And so, but we got pregnant by the grace of God, but that pregnancy ended up in miscarriage and it was a heartbreak. I held that. I I had a, the, the doctor called it eggy jeep baby house, a sack, but there was no baby. There was no yolk sack or fetal pole. These are things that belong in, in there, but I never even got to see my baby ever, but I continued to pray. I continued to have faith. I stood all the way through week by week. And I was like, no. No, I'm going to stand in faith. God can do miracles. No, I'm going to stand in faith. God can do miracles. I expressed as much faith as I could possibly express, and it still ended in miscarriage. It was a huge time of testing. And in that season, man, can you imagine the emotions that I was, I was feeling? I was so heavy with emotion that it got to the point where it was just better to not feel anything at all. So I began to just numb myself. But all I wanted to do was just, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. I just wanted to be by myself. So I was like in my room, all, you know, locked up, all pitiful and sad. And it was hard. But even in the midst of that hardship, every night I would go to my closet. I would get on my knees and I would say, God, I praise you. I worship you. I don't feel it. I don't feel happy. I don't feel like worshiping you right now. I don't feel like lifting up my hands, but you know what? I know who you are and I will not allow myself from to withhold worship to you because of this situation. It was a sacrifice. It took everything I had in me, but I didn't care. I refused. I refused to let the devil win. I refused to let him steal my days and steal my joy and steal my peace because of this circumstance and this situation. I refuse. Devil, you will not have a hold in my life. So even though I didn't feel like it, I did not feel like it. Any of those moments, trust me, I did not feel like it. My emotions were not telling me, oh, it's time to worship God. 
Oh, it's time to get in your closet and worship and praise and, and pray. No, no, none of that. I was feeling like go in bed, don't talk to anybody, just cry, watch YouTube videos. You know what I mean? Like do anything to distract yourself from reality. That's what I was feeling. That's what I was thinking. But I took authority over my thoughts. Got on my knees and worshiped God. And as I did that in obedience, my feelings began to catch up. Slowly but surely. And soon I was able to worship God, not just out of sheer obedience, but fullness of my emotions. I was able to completely surrender to him. And I had straight up revival service in my closet. I have a walk-in closet. It's like my favorite place ever. But that's where I have my quiet times with the Lord when I pray. And, and like, it's like revival, it's like better than retreat. Like it's revival service up in my, up in my closet. But it's when I, when I sought him, when I began to take steps of obedience, not my emotions, that God honored my obedience and my emotions came into place. And we believe even to this day, even after the miscarriage, I will get pregnant. That's what he was praying for. Pregnancy, ex nihilo baby. It's going to happen. And we're all going to be really excited when it does. But even the process of wanting to become pregnant emotionally, such a roller coaster. Oh, God, how long is this going to take? It's been over a year since I had my miscarriage. I've had all my amazing close friends and, and uh, you know, sons and daughters of the house all get pregnant, you know, at the same time and give birth to their beautiful babies. If you guys go to New Philly, you saw the baby dedication. They're so stinking cute. You, should, you know, you saw me and I was like, ah, <laughs> I love babies, but, but room for jealousy, room for anger. That's not fair. That's what I felt. But as soon as I felt those emotions, I was like, heck no, I will not let this get to me. Take authority over those emotions. No, I will not get jealous over the people. I should celebrate. I just come against this jealousy in the name of Jesus. And God, I thank you that I can celebrate what you're doing in their life because you're still good to me and you're good to them. And so I celebrated. So I, I, my harboring jealousy over these babies was like literally for like five minutes. I fully celebrate all of my fellow pregnant people. Whenever people tell me that they're pregnant and, you know, post up sonograms, whatever, I, it, I, I celebrate. Why? Because I've ruled over my emotion. I ruled over my emotion. So what's stopping you? What kind of emotions are you dealing with throughout the day? What kind of thoughts are you thinking throughout the day? Are you feeling discouragement? You feel doubt? Man, I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough. So you feel downcast? Now, I don't want to go to a large group because I just feel, I, f- I don't feel good today. No, you got to allow yourself to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I don't care how I feel today. I'm going to go where I need to go. I don't care how I feel today. I'm going to read what I need to read. I don't care how I feel today. I'm going to pray what I need to pray. Why? Because obedience is key. And when I obey, all of my emotions will come into submission. All of it. This is true maturity. How well do you obey? How well do you obey? Ultimately, what obedience is, is just simply believing what scripture says. That's obedience. We're all at different levels. Even in this room, there's different levels of maturity. That's how I gauge people's maturity is how well they can take control over their thought life. Someone struggles with the same thing over and 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 over, crying all the time over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Discouraged all the time over and over and over and over and over. I understand that this person is still walking out in a place of immaturity and they just need some love. They need some affirmation. They need some encouragement, but they also need to be challenged to come up to a higher place. You don't tell a baby, baby, go feed yourself, baby, go wash the dishes, baby. You know, so when you see other people walking in spiritual immaturity, do not judge and do not condemn and do not look down. Because first of all, not only is that not love, but you are only going to keep them 
in that place of immaturity. But love, affirm, support, show grace, and they will continue to grow. And they will continue to grow. The only way you and I can obey is not willpower. It's seriously by the grace of God. How I worshiped after my miscarriage is the grace of God. It was not me. Do not be impressed with me because I had nothing to do with it. Literally, it was the grace of God that allowed me to be able to pursue God even in that season. You have access to that same grace, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you will face. This is a little bit of an intense message. Some of you guys aren't even going through anything that serious. My life is good. What's she talking about? My life is sweet. I don't need this message. Trust me, you will need this message. Because becoming a Christian does not mean smooth sailing. In fact, if you're doing Christianity right, it's going to be a bumpy, rocky road. Why? Because this is just the way the world is until Christ comes again. We're continually projected and continually put in places of suffering. Why? Because as we suffer, we understand Christ and his suffering and we become like him. So suffering is going to come. Get with it, guys. Suffering will happen. But when it does happen, it does not need to rob you of joy. When it does happen, it doesn't need to rob you of peace. When it does happen, it doesn't need to rob you of encouragement. In the midst of suffering, you can thrive. You can fulfill God's destiny. And I'll leave you with this. If there's one person that understands how to get over his emotions, it's Jesus Christ. I want you guys to turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, I think. Verses 36 to 46. This is right before Jesus is going to get captured and crucified. Verses 36 to 46. Just follow me. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and two son, the two sons of Zebedee, which was John's and, John and James, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you can watch with me just one hour, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus Christ wasn't devoid of emotions. He was 100% God and 100% man. He is 100% God and 100% man. And when he was facing, he knew that he had to die. He felt the weight of that. Scripture is very clear. Jesus said it with his own mouth. I am filled with sorrow. I am filled with sorrow, even to death. What is he saying? I feel like I'm dying. I'm so filled with sorrow and grief. He was so emotional and troubled and filled with turmoil at that moment. Even, even knowing what his assignment was, he asked God, God, if it's possible, Father, if there's any way to take this cup from me, please, please, if there's any way, this was his emotion. This is how he felt. But how did he end every sentence? But nevertheless, not as I will, but according to your will be done. Jesus overcame his emotions to be obedient to the Father. 
He overcame sorrow that you and I will never experience in our lifetime so that you and I can have the authority to overcome our sorrow. Jesus paid the price and overcame even death so that we can live a life and a life abundant. This is where we get our power. It's not your willpower. It's not your level of, of, you know, mind tricks or self-help books or whatever it may be, looking in the mirror and telling yourself, I'm going to have a great day. No, this is about the power of Jesus Christ that resides inside of you. That same power that allowed him to overcome this amount of sorrow and turmoil and say, God, even if it's not, God, if, if it's not your will, it's not my will. I don't want it to be my will, but may your will be done. Let's make that our confession. No matter what we face, no matter what kind of thoughts come into our life, no matter what kind of discouragement, no matter what kind of deception, lies, let's stand on the truth of God, take authority over our thoughts, thus taking authority over our emotions. God, no matter what I feel, I'm going to obey. No matter what I'm going through, I'm going to obey. And obedience is subjecting your thoughts and your emotions to God. That's one level of obedience. No matter how I feel, I'm going to go to familiar. No matter how I feel, I'm going to go to church and receive the word. No matter how I feel, I'm going to go and pray on my knees. Why? Because it's not my will. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I feel like doing. It's not about what I think is good for me. It's about your will being done in my life. You guys are going into a new level of maturity. God's challenging you. Milk is good, but milk won't help you grow to be the adult that you need to be. At at some point, even an infant can't survive and grow and be nourished just on milk. That baby needs solid food. Let's go from milk obedience to solid food obedience. Milk submission to solid food submission. As we pursue God, as we continue to obey, as we continue to take authority, God's going to entrust you with more and more and more and more. This is your destiny. I want you guys to just bow your heads.